Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And now, it's time for... Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. And welcome to Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Mike Sweeney. (laughs) And you're Jesse Gaskell. You remembered. It's lovely to hear your voice. Oh. Yes. How are you? It's so nice to see you again. It is nice to see you. We're in the same time zone. Yes. Welcome back. Thank you. uh, To this time zone, Pacific time zone. That's right. But you're going off again. I am. You're working out. You've been writing on a movie, which is super exciting. It is exciting. But I would think. You know what? It turns out movies take a really long time to make. They're laborious. A lot longer than a daily TV show. (laughs) (laughs) Can I ask you, were are you were you shot? Was it slower than even you would have imagined? It or? was. Yeah. Because uh-huh. there's a lot of, I mean, first of all, you do so many angles of everything. Camera angles. Camera angles. Yeah. So each person gets, you know, there's like a wide shot and then there's right. two shots and then there's close-ups of everybody. Right. And then there's a different over-the-shoulder close-up. And then there's... Ugh. I mean, they look cool. Sure. And then, the, but the cameras have to reposition every single time. And so the cameras move for all these different shots. Yes. And so you're waiting a lot while they, and they have a, a whole second team of stand ins that come in when the cameras are repositioning. So uh, they look each like actor, the actors, right? That look kind of like the actor. Yeah. Sure. They're wearing like the same color. Right. And they have a name tag. Yeah. So then they set up everything, and that might take like 40 minutes or an hour. Wow. And you so, always hear actors brag that who do their own stunts but i've never heard of an actor who's like i do my own standards uh, yeah i sit there for that. three hours <laughs> yeah i'm sorry so each change takes around 45 minutes um yeah i mean it can yeah and so then people are kind of waiting and then you lose all your momentum and oh. uh, and then you have to get going yeah. again but then the actual you know the takes are kind of short like right so you might film for five minutes and then and get five minutes of tape and then right. 45 more minutes of moving around. And do they relight? Or I guess the oh, lighting yeah, would the stay lighting. the same. So that changes too. Yeah. And that's amazing. The lighting is really amazing. I mean, that's right. it's so fun to watch people light things, especially because we were, a lot of the time we were on a sound stage, but it was supposed okay. to be daytime. So right. you're replicating daytime or right. you're replicating nighttime, but it still has to look a little bit dark outside, but still right. light enough to see everybody. Right. It's just a thing that I, I notice now and appreciate so much that someone right. can, can do that. Yes. I've seen so many beautifully lit movies where everything else in the movie is terrible. Where I'm just like, <laughs> well, this is a terrible scene, but it is beautifully lit. The moonlight shining down. Look at that yeah. blue sky coming through the curtain. Yes. The blue, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, the blue, the, night the blue sky. moonlight, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that movie Moonlight was mostly just about the moonlight. <laughs> That's why it was a hit. People flocked to the lighting. Wow. So they change lenses too, right? Like it's oh, yeah. just so... There's so many laborious. things. There, I'm assuming, yeah. I don't even know most of the stuff they're doing, but... Are there... You're probably not allowed to talk about this, but are there people in this crew that other people maybe feel are like too... Being too much of a stickler oh. <laughs> and holding things up and then they start 
kind of you know passive aggressively sniping at them or it's do you ask that because we would sometimes have that on coded yes sometimes (laughs) yeah it felt like there would be you know there's like and there's always the people who right uh if if it's a union job like right it's like you're not allowed to touch the chair only i can touch the chair you know right but it's really well so what's crazy i mean because they film it so out of order and so the the movies shot completely out of order but uh so there's a script continuity person who is making sure that like, okay, well we filmed this two weeks ago, but we have to make sure that that this looks exactly the same. Right. And then even from scene to scene, you know, people like actors are, you're, they're picking up a glass and you have to remember, Oh no, the glass was in his left hand when he picked that up. Right. Um, And it has to be exactly the same every time. That's. And there was this much liquid in the glass, you know, so there's, and so they're refilling with the same brown liquid. That's what, I don't know what's in the glasses all the time. That's, but it does, I did notice that they are filling, that someone is being careful because it's always bothered me. I don't know if you've noticed this when you're watching a TV show or a movie yeah, and you can tell yeah. that someone has a coffee cup yeah. or a mug and there's yeah. no, you can tell there's nothing in it. Like I can tell that the way that the, there's not enough weight. There's no the way heft that they're, to it. Yeah. The way that they're holding it. I, you know what? I have not, now I will o- only look for that. <laughs> I'll miss all these key plot points. Cause they'll be walking along the street of New York city or, you know, and, and they're right. flailing their coffee cup around. And I'm like, right. no, that would be just spilling everywhere. <laughs> Maybe they don't want to litter. Like they finish their coffee, <laughs> it's empty. but they're waiting for a receptacle to throw it away. <laughs> That's a lot of backstory. I always notice, um, I don't notice the coffee, empty coffee cups. I'm going to look for that. I just always notice dialogue editing where they'll kind of have someone talking, but they're kind of in profile yes. or three and you can tell it doesn't match. I noticed that a lot too. And that they cheat, like they'll cheat half a phrase or something, but I just, I just from editing so much, like I just, I'm like, ah, ha, ha, cheater. Yes. I know what you did there. No, I know. And that's because, you know, they're, they're getting those shots of over someone's shoulder. Right. But then later they're, they're, choosing different takes of something else. Right. So the, they just mat, they slide the audio. Right. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. And then they'll do a lot of ADR too, which is ADR like, is when you dub in the lines, right? Yeah. They, they have someone record later. Right. And then they and slide that the in. And so if you're careful, I mean, most movies you can see yes. some version of this. And sometimes you, there's even like, someone's mouth's not moving, but they're saying right, something. Right, right, right. But it's <laughs> so quick. Or vice versa. You, you, the scene moves on so quickly, you don't have time to really... Yeah. They're, they're just like, ah, fuck you. But usually it's letter. when there's... a. It's like from a wider shot or it's there yes. behind and you hear a, yeah. and a lot and the ADR line will be like an important plot point, <laughs> you know? Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. This means they probably cut out a longer scene right, right. to save time and they just squeezed it all in in one line. Right. I, 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 it's fun to talk about your movies and you were giving hints about where you were. Well, yeah. So I was giving hints about where I was, yeah. but then I, now I'm going somewhere else. So I feel like I'm going to continue the game. Okay. Because next week I'll be somewhere else. On the same movie. On the same movie. But they're moving now to a different location. Yes. And a different time zone. A di- a, yeah. They're just, I think, trying to screw up our podcast. <laughs> That's, right. That's the only reason they wrote a script, mm-hmm. hired the crew, and sh- are shooting the movie to screw with us. I, I respect that. Um, oh, that's exciting. So, so we'll you're start. Good. So I'm, I'm not, I won't reveal yet okay, where good. I was because there's more to the game. But a, a lot of you have written in and people, people right. are guessing correctly. Right. And you know what? I, I should do it too. I'm going to give hints about where I am. Uh-huh. I'm, <laughs> I'm near an Albertson's grocery store that they're always out of LaCroix Pamplemousse. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first it probably does give a lot of information it does because it tells you that there's heavy LaCroix usage uh, aisle 11 right but people don't like the more uh exotic flavors right they're more classic oh I thought pamplemousse was exotic because I've never heard that word before what? oh no pamplemousse is like the original one I think it's the grapefruit oh. one why don't they just say grapefruit? What is because it's French? <laughs> oh, but it's LaCroix. an American brand. I know. It's then all... it would be La Croix. Exactly. La Croix. Yeah. 
Okay. I know, but they're, they're appealing to people with European sensibilities. Okay. Well, so yes, you, you'll do, we'll each do hints about where okay. we are. Okay. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> we'll see who guesses gets well, cool. uh, found out first. Well, hey, you want to introduce our guest? Yeah, we should introduce our guest. He's one of my favorite all-time people. I'll just say that. I love him. Me too. Oh, yeah? And even more so after talking to him, oh, actually. no, he's he's just... He was really fun to talk a to. A lovable lug. He is... Oh, yeah. He, he's delightful to hang out with. It's Colin Quinn. Colin Quinn. Hilarious, smart, funny. Yeah. Oh, hilarious and funny. I guess those are synonyms. He's very quick. He's... You know, it's fun to try to keep up with him. Uh, He was on Late Night almost 20 times over the entire run of the show. He started, his first appearance was in 1994. Right. And then his final appearance was over Zoom during the pandemic. So just the entire run of Conan's career. Yeah. Yeah. And he apparently had a grudge against Conan. Yes, early on. I think that whole, yeah, very early on. (laughs) (laughs) It was fun to hear the origins of that. Oh, man. Yeah, it was fun to hear. <laughs> He's still not over it. I mean, he likes to, he loves having faux grudge. I don't, I don't know if they're faux. Maybe Ooh, they are good, real grudges. Yeah. He wants you to think that they're faux. Yeah, exactly. So here's Colin Quinn. Hi, guys. Hi. You know, we go back, me and Mike go back to the 80s together. We do. Oh, my God. Mike was still known, at least among the people that, that were around at that time, as the best MC of all time. Yeah. Yep. That means I remember I pronounced people's <laughs> names correctly. No. And I remembered their credits. No, no. We mean we Yes, yes. He would work the crowd and it was always original, always spontaneous. Yeah. You know, usually pretty erudite, but it was so funny because these people were like, you know, half the audience was animals and Mike would be like almost getting in these big brawls, but he was always creative, like people would watch him MC which not a lot of people do because it was never like I did this last night. Yeah. It was always interesting, you know, and funny. Wow. You're thinking of Steve Sweeney from Boston, but that's okay. That's a What shade, Colin, what shade of white was Mike's hair in the eighties? Ah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think Mike had white hair. I mean, I can't remember Mike's hair. Who you knows? Know? <laughs> it was all about my eruditeness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did know each other back in the eighties. And I think I saw, kind of the first glimmer of you doing a one-man show. That's right. We were visiting a comedian, Mark Rader, out in Long Island. Do you remember this? Of course I do, on the diving board. Yes! He, and he's <laughs> such a great a great guy, a wonderfully funny, talented comic. We were hanging out in his pool in the backyard, and you got up. Well, you, you tell it. You remember it. All I remember is I was on a diving board. And I started doing this character stuff I was trying to work on. I was being mocked, ridiculed, degraded. Yes, <laughs> you're right. I forgot that part, but I, I oh, remember. I remembered it till the day. I <laughs> you got well because we're all just goofing around in the pool, and then you get up on the diving board and start doing this mock eulogy, a monologue. Yeah, so we, we did a monologue for you were like eulogizing a dead Irish guy named Jackie Ryan, right? And, right, right. <laughs> And I think we were all just, we weren't going to, we weren't having it. We're, no. No. I can't really blame you when I look back, but you know. Yeah. But that did become part of your first one-man show, right? Yes, it did. Yeah. And you had to set up a diving board. People wondered why you did a one-man show on a diving board in a theater. <laughs> it, made, it made sense to me. And you guys but, had to heckle him the whole time. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that show was called Sanctifying Grace. Yes. 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 I Googled it today. And uh, <laughs> no, I remember. And uh, now you're doing your eighth one man show, which is crazy. Wow. Yeah. I've done a lot of those. Yeah. You know, I really, in retrospect, I wouldn't have called them one man shows because I feel like, right. in the, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, one man shows are looked down upon in our field. But at the same time, as you know from doing stand up, you can't be thematic in stand-up without the crowd going, hey, you know what I mean? Like, right. they're aching for some dick joke at some point. <laughs> the comedy club. You know? So that must be freeing. I, heard this, I thought this podcast was all about our Conan appearances. Sure. Yeah. And do you guys put clips out of them or no? We, we link to little Easter eggs. Yeah. Why, why? Does something occur to you that? No. Okay. Well, yes. There's one Aha. thing. 
One time I was with Conan. Yes. So he's going all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. In the early days, I really did have a love-hate relationship with Conan. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I grew to, right. I've grown to love and appreciate, uh, you know, right. the mastery of what he did. I mean, I really do. Right. But early on, he would, I felt like he was always taking the audience aside and sabotaging me in the middle of my bits. Right. <laughs> so I was on the one hand, I was like, okay, you want us to come on and not just do joke material, like, but then when we free associate, if it's not killing, you're going to throw me. So I literally said that to him at the end of one segment. I go, I'm sick of it. And this was a, oh. to the credit of him and Jeff Ross and everybody else involved. It was left in the show. I go, you know what? I'm sick of this. I come on here. You want us to be spontaneous? Or do you want to be the audience? And you can sell me out to the audience. And he goes, I love you. Why do you hate me so much? And go, so if you can find that one. And they left it on the air. Goes, oh, I love great. You. Why do you hate me so much? <laughs> that's great. But, uh, you know, I th I think especially early on, I mean, I, I don't want to talk for him, but in the late, no. this, this was like 97 or 98 or so. I think, you know, comics coming on is probably more tense or fraught for him, maybe, to have comics on. Do, do you know what I mean? Just yeah. hoping like the give and take will go well and all that. Cause so. you can trick an audience, but you, the, the comics see right through you. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure, you know, in general, I wonder, like, sometimes I'm like with comics or whatever. I mean, look at Norm all the time, right? Right. Did you guys ever get Norm on before he died um, on this thing? Well, it was his final wish <laughs> to be on our show. I mean, really <laughs> those were the most viral videos when he died. Right. Yeah. Conan really understood the game in it. There's no one that does it like him, you know? Yeah. It's funny. I remember early on you kind of being like, ah, saying what you just said. Yes. And I like I knew you and I, I knew him. And I was like, these two, they're two of the funniest guys I know. They they should just they should love each other. So right. I, I'm serious. I, I I grew to love him. Yeah. Yeah. And he lo he loves you. So it all. It, it, it all worked out. Oh, did you have thoughts on Conan getting the job initially? I mean, that must have been news that you were following. No, well, because I knew, because Sandler worked with Conan and said, this guy's great. Ah. He goes, he's mm -hmm. so funny. Right. He's so great. So Sandler was the one that knew him pretty well from SNL. So I wasn't, yeah. I figured he'd be good. You know what I mean? I remember there were a few people at the time that were trying to be talk show hosts. Right. Kind of up for that job. I, ju I just remember being out with comics at night that it was announced. I just remember a table of comics being livid that this new guy wasn't a comedian. And I, yeah. I remember being delighted because they all sounded like lawyers at a law firm. And it's like, <laughs> how did he make partner? Yeah, you yeah. know, and it's like, hey, man, it's showbiz. Yeah, you got to take the bar first. Right, yep. exactly. And it's like, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Right. No, we're very uh, clannish, but everybody is. But we Yeah, 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 of course. I think you first appeared in 1994. Yes, that was my first appearance with Conan on the air. And you did panel right away. You never did. Yeah. You, you didn't do a lot of like conventional stand-up sets on late night shows. First time I was on the show. Remember, I had a very uh, brusque personality. Uh which I thought was my thing, you know, but I think it could be a little bit uh, startling to the audience back then, you know, and the first time I went on Conan, I talked about a true resentment I did have against him. The one time I had met him, we played basketball in LA, me uh -huh. and Sam, the San Luis introduced me to Conan. I was like, Oh, and then he goes after the game, he went over to the soda truck and brought back two sodas for him and Sandler. <laughs> So I brought that up as a breach of etiquette. Right. So that's how we started. That was that was our first. Uh, that's how it began. Well, now I understand why you felt like there's a little because you you come on as a guest and attack him immediately. <laughs> but in fairness to me, yeah, when three people meet, uh, you know, either buy yourself a soda or yeah. don't buy any soda. Yeah. Or buy all three soda. You don't ask. You don't tell the three people that kind of together, like all these strangers, and you buy you and your friend a soda and not the other guy. It's a little weird, especially since he was making good money at SNL. It wasn't like it was, you know. <laughs> yeah, it does seem passive aggressive. Seemed like a real strange move. <laughs> yeah. I love that you're saying back then you had a brusque persona. Like, <laughs> like this wasn't you and your personal grudge. It was like, oh, uh, you know, for comic effect, I'll complain about the soda. <laughs> It was it was a character. It, man. it was a character you were working on at the time. 
You were trying on different hats. Have you mellowed a lot, would, would you say? No, but I, I realized, I'd say I've mellowed in the sense that I realized being that brusque was a, was a bad strategic move, mm. both to get my act across and in general. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, Mike, I mean, you've known me a long time. Yeah. I wasn't really, I mean, I was kind of like that, but I wasn't like, un, I was a friendly person. Yeah, no, it was always like with a twinkle in your eye. No, but it was all yeah. you're just being funny. So everyone yeah. loved it. It had an adverse effect on a lot of things in my career. I think also mm. my defense when I would get nervous, like before me, yeah. yeah. I would definitely shut down a lot, you know. Oh. We all do that. You never seem to shut down. You seem to always you just start commenting on what was happening. Right. So <laughs> I I think that's why comics loved watching because you were kind of like annotating the set as you went. And right. if it wasn't going well, it was like you had, there was a commentary track going the whole time, which was fantastic. It was always what every other comic would be thinking, but not saying out loud at the time. So yeah, that was my whole thing. Yeah. The comedians loved me yeah. and the audience did not care for me most of the time. You know, it wasn't <laughs> like a big act. No, the audiences really liked you. I, I almost thought you enjoyed it. Do you didn't kind of like it when you were having a hard time? Like, don't you think that kind of almost fed your like, okay, here goes the running commentary, which is the part everyone likes anyway. Uh, no, because the audience didn't like that part. Right. Only the comedians liked it. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't figure out, you don't understand. I went up every night. I don't. Pretending to kill with the audience. Right. I wasn't trying to work for the comedians, but I only worked for the comedians. <laughs> right. But those are the important people anyway. It is. Yes, but, in the long run, I'm glad that I have the respect of my peers. Of yeah, course. yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but at the time, my intention was to kill with that audience. Yeah. <laughs> right. But even having six comics in the back laughing, that's enough to like, okay, I'm going to just play to the, like, it's better than nothing. The worst Something's is working. Yeah. when you're bombing and the comics are staring at you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh boy. So you were mostly coming on, I mean, I think exclusively coming on Conan to do couch appearances. How much were those written in advance? I mean, what were, what were you doing to prepare for those? I would write material. Yeah. So sometimes I go on and do material and it would do well, but somewhere during the thing, we would always get into like this little bickering debate, me and Conan. Yeah. And then it would just go off the rails almost every time. At some point, you must have thought, well, that this is our thing now. So I'll write, a, oh. you know, I could write a, a few things and then now I know it's going to go somewhere. I never thought about it no? that way. <laughs> I always thought, I'm going to go on. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But anytime yeah. there's, but that's the way me and I feel like a lot of comedians are where it's like, because Conan's not just giving you by rote answers because yeah. he's kind of saying these thought provoking things. So then that makes you want to answer him without right. being by road either. So that's the beauty of the show is it was never dumb and it was never just, you know, it was never a cliche because he doesn't think that way. Yeah, that's true. So he wasn't just saying, oh, how nice. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a great party. It always went somewhere interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah. I watched one clip where I, I had Conan says something like, well, this was a train wreck or something. You're like, oh, you did great. You got your laughs. What do you care? <laughs> <laughs> but you two were like like Irish cousins kind of competing yes. at a party or something. It was pretty yeah. funny. You, you just locked right into that, which, yeah, it's kind of compelling to watch. And you can tell a lot of it's ad-libbed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that's the beauty of the show. Yeah. Who wants to be on another show where there's no room for that? I mean, what's the point of watching these shows if you can't have right. some kind of fun and people are pre-associated, you know? Yeah, well, and at a certain point in your career, that must feel nice to have that challenge, at least, of, okay, I don't know what's coming next, so I'm going to have to stay on my toes. I can't just phone this in. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's why those Norm things are so popular, is because he'd go on there and just be like, um, you know, whatever Conan has to be like, it reminds me of this, uh, right. and he'd just go into his own thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, somebody brought up. Yeah. I think Frank Smiley, Frank Smiley, who I assume you worked with, the I segment producer. Him, yeah. yeah. And Frank's great. But I think Frank said that Norm said, you know, one of the clips that, that was has been really popular is Norm telling that long um, shaggy dog moth joke story. You know, oh, that joke. the moth joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And according to Frank, he said Norm said he got that joke from you. Yeah. 
He did. Oh. It, it's not my joke, obviously. It's a, right, right, right. But yeah, he came to me. He was going on doing some gig or something. And um, he goes, I got to go on Conan tomorrow. I need a joke. <laughs> right. So I told him the moth joke. The moth joke is literally 30 seconds long. Right. The way yeah. I told him. Right. It's 30 seconds. Right. And then he goes, oh, all right, that's good. You know, and he went on there and it became this <laughs> giant it was, Russian novel. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's what else is great about Conan is that he knew to say it's a Russian novel. Right. Yeah. Instead of be like, what? Stop. Right. You know what I mean? Like, he yeah. was, this isn't how the joke goes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was great. And he made it into this whole thing. But yeah, I told him that joke. But it wasn't my, you know, it was a joke joke. Well, Conan always said he loved when comedians were on and also comedians who had material because, I mean, obviously for him, it's like, okay, I don't have to work real hard. Right. Mm -hmm. And also, I think he just appreciated people actually Trying. doing some pre preparation <laughs> yes. for they, because he said some people would come on and, and people with comedy background with zero prep and, you know, it would be really hard. Yeah. It'd be a slog. And, you know, I, I think he'd be shocked that some people thought you could just show up and, and hey, you know, we're two funny guys. It's going to be great, you know, without yeah. even giving it any thought beforehand. The worst. That's what's great in stand-up comedy and on shows like that is the live audience is great because they put you right in your place. If you think right. you're going to be this funny, we're just too funny. The audience is not going to laugh. I love mm -hmm. seeing it because you can tell people don't do the work. And they think I'm funny. It's like, there's the audience. They want right. to laugh. They came to this taping. Right. They sat w waiting for this moment. Right. Bring it, you know? Yeah. Colin, you're one of the only hosts that also guests. And I've always wondered how, I mean, what is that like to be? Because Conan will go on other talk shows and stuff too. And, and that's just such a different, you have to, I think, tell yourself, okay, this is someone else's show. And I do kind of have to go along with what they're doing here. Yeah, but I mean, my show, that doesn't count because those idiots didn't think it was my show anyway. They would just come <laughs> on and just shut. I wouldn't be, I'd literally be going like, wait, 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 and be yelling for anything. Like, oh, oh, you're talking about tough crowd? Yeah. So you were never, you never got to feel like you were in charge on your, even on your no, own No, I was show. not in charge. Okay. I was not in charge. I, that became a thing after a while, don't you think? Just like. Wasn't a plan, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, when Patrice in particular, yeah. I mean, all of yeah. them. But Patrice in particular was just somebody that you try. I dare any, I defy anyone to be in charge when he's on the show. When you're in a conversational setting, yeah. I defy anybody <laughs> to be in charge of the conversation. With Patrice O'Neill around? Yeah, ever. Yeah. I'd like to see it happen. Yeah. He was on Letterman one time, and in three minutes, it was, the, it was his show, not Letterman. Right. <laughs> he is a, a wild presence. And loud and interesting and compelling. So it was like, everything he said was kind of like, all right, like sometimes he'd be talking, I'm going to shut him up. And then I say, I just want to see where he's going with this. Cause I just want to see if he can pull this off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I'd shut up and you know, it pissed off a lot of other guests because I would just indulge him, you know, but I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't know. I mean, I'm, I apologize. I didn't realize that you had had a version of your show on NBC initially. Three episodes, three episodes, but that was really how I, that was controlled. Then I was the host of those three. <laughs> those three. <laughs> the oh, other, those were the good times. But the 200 on Comedy Central. Was that? Yeah, yeah. But those three, I was the host. They had to wait for me to speak. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, three, that's insane. What, I mean, how, how do you only get to do three episodes? Because I, I also was reading, it was like critics liked it. It was well, yeah. well-reviewed. You know, I mean, it was already, it was already going to be trouble. It was it was going to be trouble. You know, that's how it was with me. You know, I don't know, it's just how I am. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Did you tell him that going into it? I got to warn you, it's going to be three and out. I had the best of intentions, but doesn't everybody? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you didn't let it get into your head then. You know, and you immediately had another show happening, so it wasn't like yeah. I just heard something literally the last couple of days uh, that I don't remember that you were offered the tonight show with Johnny Carson and you, well, Mike, you knew me back then. I did. I was, uh, I wouldn't say narcissistic personality disorder, uh. but I would say that whatever the thing right below that is. And so like when they opened me the tonight show, I was like, yeah, 
I don't want to do the Tonight Show. That's corny. Like, <laughs> when he said, Johnny would love you, I go, he goes, just cut the cursing out. I go, Jim, mm. don't, you know, don't tell me how to do it. I'll right. do it my way. I may curse. Right. Mm-hmm. No, you can't curse. And I go, all right, then I'm not interested, you know. Right. I want to be organic, you know. And he's mm. laughing at me, like laughing in my face. I go, what's this kid? He doesn't understand. Because this is, remember, it's the late 80s. Right. So I was like, I just felt like the Tonight Show is not. Right. No, I'm not waiting to be waved over to the couch like it's fucking 1950. You knew <laughs> late night was going to be dying in 40 years anyway. <laughs> I just thought it was so corny to be like, oh, I hope he invites me over. It's like, uh, break. I mean, I love Johnny Carson, but I'm saying you know, I didn't <laughs> idolize him. I idolized like Richard Pryor and George Carlin. Mm-hmm. Right. We both were on the show, not cursing, of course, but I didn't feel like, oh, the Tonight Show. I never even felt that way about Letterman. Like, Oh, my goal is to do a letterman. Right. It, like, it just made me sick. The whole idea, like, hey, I got to get my five minutes together. It's like, get the get out of here. That's not what <laughs> you know what I mean, it just bugs me. To this day, it bugs me when people go, hey, I'm getting my set. I'm like, stop. Just don't right. work on it 50 times. Just do it. You know what right. I mean? Mm-hmm. It loses the flavor, you know? Right. A lot of comics would be like, yeah, you know, uh, I'm doing this now, but it's all about my uh, sitcom. And, and you'd be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Oh, like they've got a whole map laid out. Yes, a whole map. Mm. It's a map that you would have if you went into accounting or banking. Yes, yeah. exactly. But there's right. supposed to be there's supposed to be moments of as I was saying at the beginning of this whole thing when Mike started doing the, like the seller, the strip, anywhere he emceed, comedians would be watching because the joy the joy is somebody trying to live in a moment and have a moment that's funny that's in that's real you know yeah that was what it's about and can't help his career in any way i think <laughs> comics really what? it was a stepping stone to this podcast yeah that's <laughs> right talk about a 40-year plan <laughs> yeah but that's that's what you're trying to capture and sometimes you know these shows or the right. idea of this show is really important like i understand in the late 70s the tonight show could launch a career i get it but this is right. 1988 or 89 right so it was like, fine, but I'm not looking to like be like, hey, you know, and then you got me and I got seen by CBS for, a, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah. Wait, so he, Macaulay just laughed at you? He just laughed he at laughed. you? He laughed. Goes, he goes, I'm offering, you know, it's so funny. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, okay, you're not going to, you're turning down Johnny Carson. I go, well, if that's what it comes to, you know, Jim, I like you. I'm sitting there Jim, it's not you. It's John. Uh, that was my problem in showbiz, by the way. One of my problems is I uh, always feel like, I'm equal to everybody. So I think right. I'm equal to Johnny Carson. I remember, you know, big producers and stuff. And I'd be like, listen, we'll do it my way, though. But you got it. <laughs> they're like, no, no, you just walked into our place. We have <laughs> of millions of dollars. You don't fucking talk to us. We're doing you a favor. And I just never realized that. <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Were you running into, because um, I'm assuming you had seen Max Weinberg at 30 Rock because you were there uh, no, I, when you were on SNL. Were you yeah. kind of, was there a lot of like running into people at 30 Rock? Um, were you kind of having crossover with Late Night in other ways there? It was a much more, yeah, it was a much more like a family type thing. Like I would see yeah. every, I'd see Max at the gym. I'd see everybody just around the building and even downstairs, like mm-hmm. in those restaurants. It was just very, Right, Mike. It right, was like, yeah. It was very parochial, almost. You know, it was. It, it, and a lot of times, people from SNL, if they knew someone who was a guest, would come down and just hang out in the hallway. So mm-hmm. that way, it was it was very laid back. Would you get a like last minute calls because? Yes. Oh yeah. I know you were right sometimes there. they'd be like, "Oh, we need a guest. Someone canceled. Yeah. JLo canceled." Yeah, let's let's get caught. And, you know, it's it's Wednesday, so SNL hasn't gotten too insane yeah. yet this week. Yeah. And I would always want to do that. That was especially comedians because you always have some material anyway. And right. You just you know, put together a sort of as much of a set and you're going to be on a couch anyway and just go down and do it. Yeah. 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 But I did a couple of stand up sets there too. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. I bet I did four or five. Oh, wow. I wonder if Carson was watching them and going, what the fuck? <laughs> What's wrong with this guy? Ah. Uh. Oh man, they had that would that might have maybe you were his white whale. How are we gonna get Quinn? (laughs) That's why he retired. (laughs) But even Letterman, I remember Letterman people being like Letterman show, and they're like talking to you. It's like okay, calm down. You're you're fine. You're a five minute set. Right. You have to like (laughs) just you know it's just so. This is what we do. Right. We're not supposed to care. Yeah. Yeah. And, and once you get into that relationship where they're like, hey, you know, we we like you, we're interested, let's see another different five minutes, like comics would drive themselves insane once they got into that Letterman Tonight Show loop a little bit where, yeah. where they hadn't done the show yet, but they were kind of being told, oh, yeah, we're kind of interested in you. Oh, we want to see you. Worst. Oh, boy. And then. Yes. It would become their white whale, like, you know, you say, right. yeah. and meanwhile, anticlimactic, because I worked with a couple of comics that had done Letterman. Right. They weren't even headlining the gig. You know, it was some guy that was like over the top screaming and yelling right. on the road. I mean, you know, just right. it doesn't make or break your career. Too much focus on the, the act. It's just then. So somebody gets on. and I still see it happen sometimes. And they're in a suit and they got their five down. And they're waiting, and it's just a little applause, and I just hate applause anyway in comedy. It's from day one, it's the most sickening. It's the antithesis of comedy. Right. So it's a weird television thing. It sucks, TV. Um, well, Colin, I was wondering going back to when you would appear on late night, because you mentioned uh that you know, you you were you didn't want to be told what to do by producers. What were the right. conversations like with producers before you went on it? Would you be like, okay, this is what I want to talk about? And they just on your, say, on sure. your show? Yeah. Well, luckily, if there's one person that likes to fight, it's Frank Smiley. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we would have screaming matches, me and Frank, all oh. the time. Seriously? Oh, wow. Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's what I, th- I'm, I feel like I'm responsible for him marrying a girl from Belfast. Uh. <laughs> He's like, I want to keep this fight going at home. Getting this adrenaline going. We would fight all, ask him, he'll tell you. All but right. he was great in that he understood, like, he was really in the comedy scene. Yes. So for me, I feel like we got along because he was, you know what I mean? Like, he was yeah. always there. So anytime you make a reference to something, like, it would be a reference to somebody or something mm-hmm. that would make me laugh, you know? So we, right. I feel like it was a good relationship in that way. Like right. he wasn't a guy coming in cold going comedy is this yes. like he's in the clubs all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember him from that. Yeah. He wasn't a dummy. He wasn't a guy that was like, right. Hey, this is what works in comedy. Like yeah. he understood we spoke the same language, you know? Yes. And he was always in your corner. Yes. Like in the few clips I was watching, you could hear him laughing Yeah, <laughs> just because he's a very distinctive cackle. Yes. <laughs> But he was laughing at like 
all the, your little tiny asides that that <laughs> yeah most of the audience didn't eat. he was like right there yeah. loving it like i think he loved it more than than anybody yeah yeah no he was great to work with but other yeah. other uh people that do those shows right. like a lot of them i mean i was no easy person to work with now that i look back but you know if they had the if they would tell you like that won't work with our crowd then i would just turn and go really so is your crowd different from the 30 weeks I just did all over the country. Right. Where's your crowd from? Who are they? Right. Yeah. Because that would just drive me nuts. I'm like, right. if it works with here, why would you say all crowd? You know what I mean? Like, it just, yeah. just nuts. Mm-hmm. Oh, like what an awful mindset to just think in monolithic terms like that. Like this is, yeah, this is what our viewer <laughs> craves. Yep. I mean, how many times have you, when you do stand up, you're like, how's the crowd? And somebody you don't even think is that good goes, nah, they're bad. And you're like, yeah, they're bad for him. Right, right. Yeah. When you go on in a lineup, like in a comedy club, it makes such a big difference, especially if it is a bad crowd. If you get, if you know that going in, it's very liberating. It's very liberating. Mm. Otherwise you assume it's you. I, I would always think like, oh no, every they loved everyone else. They hate me. But if you knew they hated everyone else and then it's... Yeah, does that happen when you're doing a late night perform uh, appearance where you're backstage and you're watching the show and you're like, uh-oh, you know, or you're either watching monologue not do well or or even uh, the previous guest? No, because just like you said, just the opposite. You think, yeah, I'm going to get them going. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, the crowd's dead. You're like, dead so far. Yeah. <laughs> I'll wake them up. Yeah. <laughs> And sometimes you come on too strong, like, hey, guys. And they're like, but you, you know what I mean? Like, right, right, <laughs> right. Well, I, I used to do the warm up for late night. Mm-hmm. And I would like, you know, the crowds at 30 Rock tended to be great. But there were nights I where I was like, I don't know what's going on here, right. but this crowd is not good. And <laughs> I and I'd have to go back and see Conan and he'd want to know. Oh, yeah. And I, I was always afraid. I'd always say they were good. Uh, unless they were truly egregious, right. but but sometimes I'd have stand-up friends who are going to be on, and while I was doing the warm-up, I'd be like, "Shit, this is like I'd feel bad for them all an hour before they even right. went on because I Andy Kindler was going to be on one night, and it was right. one of the worst crowds ever, and I was like, "Shh," oh. and I remember he went on and he was having a rough time, and he just pointed up at a man in the audience. He goes, "That man hates me." <laughs> 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 oh man, it was so funny. Yeah. Oh no, yeah, of course, Andy. What is it like out there now? I mean, because you've been doing, you've been touring with your new show. How do you feel like audiences are? are they excited to get to be out enjoying comedy right oh, now? I mean, everyone's been wearing masks, but they, you know, what I mean, like during the show, the la- so the laughter is a little more muted. But it's been, yeah, I mean, it's great. Like, I feel like people really like going out. You know, I feel like. Yeah. Everyone's just so excited to be out. It's crazy. Right. You know, touring with your one man show is, are there parts of the country you prefer doing it where you just like the audiences better or, or will you go anywhere? No, anywhere is the same. I mean, yeah. to me, almost anywhere is the same now. In the yeah. old days, the country was different, but now everywhere is the same, except politically, of course, because <laughs> politically you can feel people like, Whenever you bring up anything political, and my act is really, you know, I literally, you could not be more, um, you know, ambivalent about, I mean, my whole thing is that I feel like we live in two cults right now. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like insanity. And, but you can just see people like saying, where is this coming (laughs) from? Not my cult. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. They can't believe you see both sides objectively. It's like, what side is he really on? Yeah. <laughs> Both sides are, is truly the worst thing you can be right now. But I, I think that's great about you. I, I, and it sounds like that's what the show's about, where yeah. you make sure you give it to both. They're both insane. Yes, it's terrible. Yeah. Do you find, do you see people able to laugh at themselves in it? Well, to a degree, yes. Yeah. I mean, I would say to a degree. Yeah. I think people laugh a little bit begrudgingly, but if it's funny enough, they'll laugh. Yeah. You know? Good. And my whole thing is, my part of my theme of my show is I want to be like a a mod a violent moderate party because moderates by nature nobody right. wants to be involved. <laughs> right, right. Like you're wearing dockers and you right. know it's corny. So <laughs> I want it to be like a violent moderate party. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, did we say the name of it? It's called The Last... The Last Best Hope. The Last Best Hope. The Last Best Hope. So that, And it's not ironic. You are <laughs> claiming to be able to solve things. Yes. It's a new persona he's trying out. <laughs> it's all it's his latest now. persona. I'm not ironic. I'm sardonic. <laughs> I, I always felt when, when I first met you, I was like, if you were born 100 years ago, you'd be running Tammany Hall. Yeah. Because everyone just... I know this sounds corny, but yeah. I remember starting out like comics like Dennis Miller, all these comedians who, you know, you'd be dying to meet, just fell in love with you immediately and would be like trying stuff out on you. And you had been doing comedy like six months. I've never seen anything like it. It was crazy. It was unbelievable. Does any part of you want to go into politics? Would you run for office? No, but but yeah. but Mike is right. I was called. I was nicknamed the mayor many different times in my life. Really, <laughs> Mike Shoemaker from uh, SNL. He used yeah. to call me mayor because I walk around. And um, yeah, I think I would have been perfect as a like a benign, corrupt uh, New York. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. We want him to run for president. He turned it down. <laughs> that it was meant, meant well, and just you know what I mean. Yeah. Right. Listen, a lot of people say that. That because I knew all those the descendants of Tammany Hall, you know, all the Irish last of that. And they said that what happened was in the 60s when they got rid of corruption, it also got rid of things being able to be done because right. when you're dealing in the ideal of a society, nothing can get done. Right. <laughs> yeah. Interesting, too. So I don't know. Ah, well, well, we should talk about the power broker. Oh, <laughs> you know what? I said I read the entire book. I only read to page 900. And then I did that tap again. You missed the best 400 pages. You know what? That's the truth. That's a great book. Now, I, I looked it up later. Yeah. At the end, they revealed this book. I mean, it's really indulgent to write a book that's 1,300 pages. I'm yes. not. But I know yeah. we did all the research. But come on. Conan will be very happy that we brought up Robert Caro on this podcast. <laughs> Wait, are there any other memories that we didn't cover or ask you about either? Yeah. It could be off screen too. If the, if you have any memories of Conan from that well, didn't happen um, on air. It was just such a different vibe from like nowadays. Like it just felt more like, like I said, it was almost like you walk downstairs and we all part of the same family. So yeah. right. everybody just knew each other. It was such a smaller world show business, you know? And oh, back, back at 30 Rock. Yeah. I knew everybody on the show. Uh -huh. and they knew everybody on SNL. And it was just it right. felt so small and, and and more fun, you know? Yeah. By the way, the other interesting thing about every time I'm on Conan is watching my weight uh, balloon and then cut down. It's really funny. <laughs> Only when I look at my weight differences, I go, oh, you you were kind of insane over in your life, weren't you? <laughs> Like there's something <laughs> mentally wrong with you. That's the only way I can really, you know, I have actual. Yeah. That there's something wrong with me. <laughs> we'll put together a montage of you growing larger and smaller. Oh, please don't. <laughs> well, you are really one of the only guests that was kind of there from the beginning to the very end. I mean, yeah. that's incredible. 1994. And then your last appearance was over Zoom during the pandemic. So yeah. you guys have one of the longest relationships. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's amazing when you see all those people from, that were so big in the 90s. You're like, oh, my God, what happens to people, you know? Yeah. You figure everybody's going to be there, you know? Better to gain a little weight than just disappear completely. Well, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you so much. It's great thanks seeing you. It's really great to meet you. Yeah. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you. Good to meet you. Thank you, Colin Quinn. Thanks, Colin. Nice seeing you again. Welcome back anytime. Absolutely. He's not listening to this. No, no way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and hey. Yeah. You who are listening. Yeah. If you enjoy the show, can we please ask you one more time to support us by rating Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast on iTunes and leaving us a review. That would be really nice. Thank you. That would be nice. Where I've been going door to door and it's not going well. Yes. I know. You've been through three pairs of sneakers. I pretend to be selling Girl Scout cookies, and then I ask them to rate us on iTunes. I saw a poster in my neighborhood with your picture on it. Oh, Beware. Uh -oh. <laughs> she is not selling cookies. Yeah, I'm all over next door. She's seeking five stars <laughs> in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And we have a listener question? We do. Oh, there it is. Yeah, it's there it is. highlighted in um, salmon. Yes. I call it salmon. <laughs> Hello, 
On a recent episode, you mentioned audience warm-ups. Were there any serious problems at Conan with an audience or individuals in an audience? Parentheses, people who heckle, shout too much, or just need to be ejected, or just need to be ejected. <laughs> <laughs> That's the least of it. People who need to be tased. Uh, that needed to be taken care of before, during, or after taping. Thanks, Kyle M. Thank you, Kyle M. I think that's a great question. It is a good question. Because, uh, you know, there's so much stuff that happens, obviously, that you don't see on TV in between. Right. Commercials and all that. Um, yeah. Well, and there are so many fake audience members that are heckling oh, Conan. Show. That's right. That do get ejected, but that's not real. Ha, that's ha. sketch comedy. Well, that, you know, speaking of how we'd have a lot of fake characters in the audience, that would always be an issue with audience behavior. The people sitting around the fake yes. audience member would often try be like, oh, to my steal God, the I'm show. On, oh, my yeah. God. They would just become super ham bones. Yeah. Once people know they're on camera, it's like they just want to yeah. steal focus. And so they start hamming it up. You know what? There's an evolution of that from the early years of the show, like in the 90s, i.e. before selfies existed. Social media. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I mean, just I think people were a little more panicky, like, oh, God, I'm on camera. Just mm -hmm. stare straight. You know, don't even look at the monitor. Just kind of be a good audience member to people hamming it up and then thinking it's their turn. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was kind of the converse of that too, which is sometimes we'd have bits where we'd choose audience members. Right. And we'd right. want real them. Audience you, members, yeah. You right. choose a real audience member mm -hmm. and it would be like, um, I don't know. There was audience theme songs where we'd write songs right. about people in the audience. We'd but go then, out, we'd go yeah. out before the show and see people waiting in the waiting area Yeah, and come back and write quick little ditties about them. And be like, Oh, that guy's got a Hawaiian shirt and a crazy right. mustache. So right, now let's right. do some kind of Magnum PI thing about him. Right. But sometimes people <laughs> would, once they saw themselves on camera, they'd sort of freak out and then look really sad or, or look really <laughs> nervous. And then the bit wouldn't work because it was like, oh, why yeah. are we picking on this yeah, sad yeah. person? It would just seem cruel. Mean. Right. <laughs> so then we started trying to pick people who seemed to have, they just were, you know, no self-consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. Or we would do a thing where we would like... I don't know if we've talked about this before, but we'd write something. Someone would be wearing a top hat yeah. in the audience waiting yeah. area. And then we'd write some, uh, like they'd right. have a top hat and a monocle. Right. And then they'd come inside and take both of them off. Right, right. And the show would start and be like, oh, no, 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 no. We, yes. we wrote so much about your top hat and monocle. No, it'd be awful. And a lot of times they'd like, the show would have started and it's still on. And then they take it off during the monologue. <laughs> yeah. And you'd be like, motherfucker. Out of respect. <laughs> So then after a while, I would like, you don't want to mess with the audience at all. Do you know what I mean? You don't want to get in anyone's head. Yeah. You don't want to tell them that they're going to be on camera. Right. Yeah. But I remember once after that happened, I kind of <laughs> went up to some guy, like we, we seated them on the aisle. And so I just kind of went up during the warm up. I was like, um, you know. I love your hat. Uh, it'd be great if you could. <laughs> I'd just be like, can you can you just leave it on for the show? And they'd be like, okay. Yeah. A little suspicious, but. I, I think they were a little suspicious. That's a pretty smooth way of doing it. Yeah. Were there ever problems with people heckling or, you know, needing to be told there was to stop? One time a heckler. It was back, back in New York. I think a politician was on. I don't oh. know who it was. Like maybe it was someone like John McCain or I forget who, but somebody in the middle of the interview started yelling stuff out and Conan was really funny. He just said, um, oh, and I, you know, I, the, the guy stood up and then they escorted him. It was really like a, one of our sketches. <laughs> Security came or the pages <laughs> escorted the guy out. And on his, while he's leaving, Conan was just like pretty clever heckling at a pre-taped television show <laughs> uh just you know just said enjoy not seeing yourself tonight on the show so oh yeah and it, you know it came right out yeah i mean usually conan loves when things go wrong in the studio yeah. like fire alarms going off or smoke oh. detector like one show we got a popcorn machine as a gift from somebody and it set off the smoke alarm and oh you know, no or there's people or there's 
crew working on sets for like yeah, the next it's day. Like sawing things. I go, yeah. It's like, what's going on back? But um, I think this one, I don't know, is is closer to the early days of the show. And I think the consensus was just like, oh, let's just take it let's out. Let's take it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he would, I mean, even at the very top of the show, especially towards the end, there was like a long period of you know, people wooing and right. then he would kind of point out certain woos or isolate people right. or yes, respond yes. to yes. hecklers. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a slippery slope. If you, if you do, yeah. if you encourage certain behavior in an audience and then people are watching the show, they think, Oh, they want me to do that. Do you yeah. Know? Yeah. You know what the other weird thing is the evolution of the standing ovation. Like I know, no one, like in the nineties, no one, no one st- stood. I mean, in like twenty eighteen and nineteen, it was it was happening every night, and it was getting longer and longer. Right, and then if if the audience didn't stand, it was like, oh god, the, <laughs> the world. I, it, they could be as loud as possible, but if they didn't all stand up, it was just yeah. like, oh my god, it's over. Yeah, <laughs> it's over. They, well, I was wondering psychologically, what does that yeah. do to a person to have a standing ovation for you every single night? And people that a standing ovation that then ends in yeah. people chanting your name <laughs> like a dictator. And then you go home and everyone's like, oh, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they stand up to yeah to leave the room. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But um, <laughs> I know that's and also a standing ovation before you did anything. Yeah. Like just for existing. Yeah. Ah. I know. Yeah. Well, we'll have to, we'll, we're still learning about the lasting effects of that. <laughs> That's right. It's a, it's one of those 40 year experiments. Yeah. That's a great question though. Yes. Thank you, Kyle. M. I do think that the audience was such an integral part of the show. Cause yeah. for me, once we, you know, when we had to start filming remotely during the pandemic, right. it, it really changed the show and even when Conan and Andy went to Largo theater, which was f- a fun advance from them being just at home over zoom, right, but right. there was no audience. And so there was kind of this just vacuum of space. Cause Conan had to literally make, he had four people to try to make laugh. Yeah. And that was, I think his barometer, like you need some, <laughs> yeah. but you do need some sort of barometer. You need some mm-hmm. other, it's hard to just literally do it in a vacuum, but that's, um, yeah, because it's one thing if the audience isn't laughing, mm-hmm. then you can at least comment on the fact that they're not laughing. Right, right, right. But if there's no audience there to not laugh, right? Did you make a joke? Right. Well, what yeah. do you think about like the future of comedy on TV? Because there's mm-hmm. so much less audience-driven comedy now, like sitcoms yeah. with audiences. You know, it's become a single camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is kind of the way to go now, and that I think that's what's in people's minds. I, I I've seen people comment, like I've seen people comment on our stuff where they're like, "Oh, they they add laughs," and it's like, "No, it, no, it's, yeah, it's an audience that we record, and we, we don't, don't, yeah, we hate ourselves. We're not right. We're not I there mean, to juice anything. No, but it's, yeah. But I, but my point, I think people have gotten out of the habit of just hearing laughter hearing to the point laughter yeah where they they assume it's not real you know but but i so i wonder if that's going to ever just kind of go away go eventually away. yeah what if it's just people doing the like the text i message text responses the <laughs> haha you can tap haha on the screen <laughs> that'll that'll be that'll be the world of comedy <laughs> oh no all texting uh. and gifts Anyway. Well, hey, thanks for that question, Kyle M. And we love all listener questions, even when we don't say them out loud. Uh, sometimes they're just things that we've already addressed. But you can still ask any questions to us, any and all. Email us at insideconanpod at gmail.com or call us 323-209-5303. And it's just a voicemail. No one's going to answer. Don't worry. Wow, you read my mind. I was just going to say all that stuff, including the email and the phone number. Oh, so wow. thank you. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask people to send in questions. Mind meld. It really is. <laughs> now that we're in the same area code again. What were you going to do after that? Then I was going to say, Jesse. Uh huh. Until next week. <laughs> well, you know what? Last week I upgraded our relationship with our listeners. Yes, from I, like. I, yeah, I said the big L O V E word. 
Right. And you know what? I still feel that way. Oh. We love you. Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast, is hosted by Mike Sweeney and me, Jesse Gaskell. Produced by Sean Doherty. Our production coordinator is Lisa Byrne. Executive produced by Joanna Solotaroff, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. Engineered and mixed by Will Beckton. Our talent bookers are Gina Batista and Paula Davis. Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best. It's the Conan Show. Put on your hat. It's the Conan Show. Try on some spats. You're gonna have a laugh. Give birth to a calf. It's Conan. This has been a Team Coco production. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.